but he would look at us one by one. He looked in everybody's eyes. He looked at the guy's eyes, but it was like one, two, three, like good four or five seconds. Looked in the girl's eyes and looked into mine eyes as well. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Zolt Ekos Pal was 17 when he decided to flee Cold War Romania for a better life in the West. It's a heartwarming story of the generosity of strangers. Young Zolt finds compassionate border guards, gets lost in Vienna and has incredible luck wherever he turns as he negotiates the Iron Curtain as well as many other international borders to reach his brother in Sweden. However, his escape is bittersweet as we hear of his emotional farewell to his parents, not knowing if he's ever going to see them again. Now, Cold War history is disappearing. However, a simple monthly donation will help to keep this podcast on the air. You'll get the sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you are helping to preserve Cold War history. Hi, I'm Andrew, and I'm very proud to support Cold War Conversations with a small donation each month, because Ian's put together such a brilliant range of interviews. If you want high power, there's the son of Nikita Khrushchev, there are cross-border romances, old-fashioned spy stories, and the bizarre world of East European football. If you do support the podcast, your wallet will be a tiny bit lighter, but your brain will be very, very thankful. Just go to coldwarconversations.com donate. If you're on Facebook, do join our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations on Facebook. I'm delighted to welcome Zolt Akos Pal to our Cold War conversation. And remember sitting on the on the Danube shore and talking lies. And then uh, I started thinking about going abroad. And uh, I flipped a coin. And I said, well, if it's this side, I'm going to go. If it's the other side, I'm going to stay. And it came out uh, the 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 side which said that I should go. <laughs> so that's how my, my basically my decision was made. Although I have to mention as well that uh, I had some reasons. So my reasoning before doing this flip a coin, it was like this. I'm 17 years old. I still have one year of high school. Uh, if I go Back to Romania, I still have one year of uh, uh, high school. I finish school. Then uh, I'm going to try to enter uh, um, actor school. I know that I was kind of good, but I know as well that I didn't have many chances or uh, because those years they were taking in one student from the whole country. 
one student. You know, and although I know I was okay, I know that I, I was not a genius. So it's probably not going to be me. Which meant that I have to now do two years military service. If you entered a university, then you had to do, I think, nine months. If not, then two years. So that adds, now are we up to three years. One year high school, two years military service. After you're doing your military service, you're not allowed to travel abroad for another year. I don't know why, but that's just how it worked. So next time when I could come to Hungary, not further, because we were not thinking of further, we were not thinking that the regime would uh, <laughs> alter itself. So next time when I could come abroad was at least four years away. Now, if I would be leaving now for the rest, in four years' time, I might be able to come back. Because in four or five years, you might gain a, a citizenship somewhere. And probably I wouldn't do two years military service, which is, uh, at that time, I considered it was a total waste of time. Certainly in, in, in the Romanian army. So, uh, so that was my reasoning behind this uh, uh, flipping the coin. And when, when I flipped the coin, then uh, from that moment on, you know, that was my, uh, my program. That was my agenda. So I called my brother. I said, all right, I decided myself, I'm going to go. Tell me the way or tell me what should I do. Uh, you know, and then he started to explain me what should I do and how, how, how this whole thing. Should I go on with this story? Yeah, I want to know how you, I want to know how you do it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So what he basically told me is that, that he, he just met another guy uh, out there in Jönköping in Sweden uh, who told him how he, uh, how he managed to get a bro. And it was uh, the following that he went to the border crossing of uh, between Hungary and Austria. And uh, he simply walked in to the border crossing and explained that he is a Hungarian from Transylvania and he wants to go to Austria because he has some relatives there and so on and so forth. And since at that time, Hungary was uh, so uh, benevolent to the Hungarians uh, living in Transylvania, and they know the hardship they had to endure uh, uh, under uh, Ceausescu, that uh, uh, in silence, non-officially, they, uh, how should I say, they let people go over the border. And uh, then when, if you can cross the border, he told me, then you should get to Kufstein. There is a, a, another Hungarian guy there. You should, uh, you should uh, seek him up, and he will help you further. So that's how much I knew, basically, about uh, crossing the border. Uh, so uh, I presented my plans to my parents, who were there with me in Budapest. It was very funny because uh, my mother was supporting me from the very first moment, and my father was very skeptical to the whole project said, ah, no, no, this, this can't be, this, uh, this wouldn't be, I mean, this is unreal. It cannot be. 
And uh, what if, if they arrest you and what if they put you back to Romania? What normally would happen? And I said, well, I, I don't know. This is what my brother told me, that he met a guy who went out this way. And I think I want to try it. You know, I'm here, I can try it. If not now, then I'm just going to waste a couple of years. And, you know, just who knows when. If, uh, if I succeed, I succeed. If I don't succeed, I will have to take the consequences of it. So, uh, basically, they, they um, agreed to take me to the Hungarian border, which at that time, uh, from Budapest, it's not too far. It's like 150 kilometers or something, or 180 or something like that to the border, but it took us a half a day. It was old to pay uh, two, two lane uh, roads. And it was, uh, it was in August. It was August, 1986. And it was, uh, it was a gloomy, rainy day. And, uh, so we drove all the way down, uh, out to the, to the border. Of course, at that time, it wasn't one border as it is usual now, so to say, but it was two borders. There was a pre-border where a, a, a checking, uh, was set up with a barrier and so forth. So everybody was staying in the first barrier, and then from time to time they would pass on three, four cars into the big border, the real border, so to say. And it was a huge queue. Uh, it was like I don't know, like uh, eight hundred meters, a kilometers queue of cars on the on the border. Uh, and we, I said to my father, "Well, we shouldn't stay in the queue because this will take I don't know half a day to stay here. Just just throw all the way." in the front. So we drove because it was no, no, uh, uh, traffic coming towards us basically just from time to time, one or two cars. So we went out on the, on to the first place, stayed on the left of the road. And I went out of the car and went to this, uh, little border and there was a soldier there standing there and said, oh, what, what do you do? Why did you came here with your car? I mean, let's go back and stay in line and so on and so forth. And I said, well, good day to you, sir. My name is this and this. I'm coming from Transylvania. I have an uncle in Austria. I would like to go there. You know, my life in Transylvania is, is not a great uh, deal to brag about it. And uh, yeah, that's what I would like to do. And he was looking at me as like, like what, what, what did you say? I said, well, yes, I'm a, a Transylvanian, you know, Hungarian from Transylvania. I would like to cross to the West. Well, you can't cross to the West like that. Do you have a passport? Well, yes, of course I have a passport. And I handed him my passport, looked at it. Well, you, you have no Austrian visa. He said, no, I don't. But then how, how do you want to go? I said, just, you know, I just want to go. Well, I don't know, don't know what to say. It's, it's not possible. Well, uh, wouldn't you mind calling into the central and just ask someone? I said, well, you know, I, I could do that. I said, yeah, please do that. So he picked up the phone and, uh, and, uh, I heard that he was saying, uh, comrade, uh, captain, <laughs> I have a person here. He's a Hungarian Transylvanian youngster. 
he wants to go to the west, to Austria. What should I do? And the captain told him, send him in. So he put down the phone, looked at me, and he said, do you have any luggage? I had, yeah, I have a backpack in the car. Well, get your backpack, your passport stays with me, and then come back here. So I went back to the car, which was like, you know, 30 meters from there, and then took out my backpack from the car. I said goodbye to my parents, and they were still not believing that I'm actually going. I said, well, you know what? Uh, go back and wait here for two, three hours. If I won't be back by three hours, then go back to Budapest, because if I don't succeed of, of uh, getting over myself to the border, then I will be back to Budapest somehow, and I let you know. And that was it. I said goodbye. I took my backpack, went back to this uh, little border check. Can I just ask you, was that tough saying goodbye at that moment? Yes and no. It was tough in a way because, you know, I, I knew that if I'm going to be gone now and if I succeed, I might, I might not see them again. Mm -hmm. You know, I just didn't know it. But it, everything happened so fast that it wasn't really time for getting, you know, emotionally yeah. <laughs> involved very much. You know, it's, this is it. I'm going. All right. Thank you. Take care of you. Don't have any remorses. Don't have any of that. You know, it's my decision. Uh, and being the age you are, you're looking to the future. Yes, yes, opportunity. yes. And, and um, later on, when, when my parents came out to Sweden as well, we talked about it. And they said they had a different argument in the car back to Budapest because my, my father felt so guilty about letting me go. I, I mean, officially, I was still a, a minor, mm. you know, and then he shouldn't let me go and so, 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 so. Uh, and then, uh, but on the other hand, which I understand it, I understood uh, later on is that when he was talking about his life as well, he said uh, at one point that, I have one big remorse or, or one big um, regret. Regret, that's the right word. I have one big regret that I had to live my entire life in, in, in this uh, uh, horrible regime. So, so that was some, you know, in, in him. And I think that was one of the reasons he let me go not to have the same kind of life. I mean, we didn't have a bad life uh, on, on family level and on city level or, you know, the, the, with, with our everyday life. I mean, we didn't have a bad life. We have a, I would say we have a, a quality life. You know, we lived and loved each other. We had friends. We have, you know, all kinds of communities. And, and uh, you know, we were both partying and going to theater and so on. So, on. so we have a vivid uh, community life back there in that way but but still you know when something is wrong from the from the be beginning something is you know the 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 basis for for the whole life is it's it's a lie basically and you have to live with that every day so anyhow so I, uh, later on when i was putting and i was rethinking uh, 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 what have happened i think this is was uh, this was uh, his reason why why basically he he let me go at that time 
And then I went into the border station. I mean, I had to, I, I think it was like at least a kilometer or, or two or three kilometers. I can't really remember how long it was to go into this, uh, this uh, big border, so to say, crossing this no man's land. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, one of the reasons why they had uh, this, uh, this double border system is uh, that when, when people were defecting, you know, and they, they left the first border and they thought they are already in Austria. And, and, and then, and then the Hungarian police could come and, and collect them basically because they were still in Hungary. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a double system. Yeah. Um, yeah. Clever. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. They were very clever in this way. So, uh, yeah, I, I went into the, this big border station and, you know, it was a, Vivid border station, people standing, cars, you know, in, in several lanes and so on. And, and uh, nobody paid attention to me. <laughs> Basically, it was, it was kind of funny. It's, you know, it's like until now, everything was under control and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now you come to the border and nobody cares about you. So since I know that uh, the, this guy on the, on the border, the, soldier was talking to a captain so i saw a guy with with four stars uh, on his shoulder and that's a captain so i uh, approached this captain and i said hello sir this is uh, who i am this is what i would like to do and he said so what what did you say i said um, this is my name i'm coming from uh, romania transylvania i'm a hungarian i would like to go over to to austria I have an uncle there who's waiting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Do you have a passport? Well, yes, of course I have a passport. Okay. And you want to go over to Austria? You have an uncle there who's going to take care of you and so on. So I said, yes. <laughs> okay. So, look, there's a cafe over there. Go in, have a coffee. I'm going to go ahead and check up your passport. And he left, and I uh, went into the cafe bar and had a coffee and he came back after like 20 minutes and, uh, and he asked me again, so where you want to go? Where are you from? I said, well, this is my name. I'm Transylvania. says into my passport, I would like to go to Australia. All right. I see. Well, your passport is, is okay. It's valid and wrong with it. Okay, and how would you like to cross the border? You know, if we're letting you go, what will you do? Uh, well, you know, well, I said I think I would hitchhike. Ah, that's not going to work. It's not working right now. All right, come with me. So we went up to the cars, which were staying in the line, and he was looking at the cars, and then, uh, and uh, then it was a Zasta Wadera. You go with a Yugoslavian uh, license plate. It was uh, two guys, a guy and a girl in it, and it was a, a minivan. And he asked them, where are you going? They said, uh, we are going to Vienna. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, if you take this young man along with you, uh, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't uh, make any custom examination on you. Is it okay for you? I said, yeah, sure. And then uh, he said, well, okay, this is it. Uh, 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 and I 
believe that the um, Yugoslavian uh, passport is uh, that the covers of the passport was red. Uh, my Romanian passport has a green uh, cover. Uh, so, so he took out one of the the guys uh, uh, Yugoslavia passport from from it. It had a, a plus cover as well with with the state uh, crest on it and so on. And put my green passport into a red cover as well. So it looked like three Yugoslavian passes basically. Okay, he said, "Well, you see, these nice people will take you all the way to Vienna. I wish you well. I hope that when you will be coming back." Then you will be coming back with an honest passport. Have a good life. And he walked away. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it, basically. You know, you were there, you were in the situation, but I have never, ever, not experienced, but I never, ever heard about something like that, that a Hungarian officer would say something like this. You know, it was just on her. Anyhow. So, uh, at that I, I I think I didn't really thank him or something. I just said I think very simple. I just said well thank you or something like that. And then you know I was in the car. And then uh, yeah, the car was uh, you know they were not doing any customs on it or anything. This the 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 captain just told to the guy that let the car go. It's it's okay. And so we pretty much we were uh, you know we rolled out of Hungary. And again, it came a little bit of no man's no man land. And on the other side, you know, Austria, it was very different than what I have imagined. I don't know if I imagined anything else, but it certainly was very modest. I, I believe I, I, I remember one little simple uh, house, border station or whatever, but it was really a small and, and modest one. And it was only one officer standing in the middle of the room. I mean, basically, no personnel, no, you know, no docks, no watchtowers, no whatever. One, one soldier was standing in the, in the middle of the room. And he was very, <laughs> very exquisite. He was standing in, uh, he had a black uniform on it. I, I believe that that's for their normal uniform. Uh, it reminded me very much of, of uh, the SS. <laughs> he looked like an SS, I don't know, Auschwitz, uh, I don't know, Hauptmannführer or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it, was a, uh, it was a vision, basically, what, um, what I saw there. And uh, he was just, uh, you know, he, he had a, a, a riding whip in his hand. You know, he had a black ballerine. He had this high, high hat, you know, uh, and totally black. And he was just, as we poured up to it, he was just, uh, we lowered down the, the window and uh, Zlatko, it was the name of this uh, Yugoslav guy, he handed out the three passports in, in, in the red covers. And uh, he wouldn't take it, but he would look at us one by one. He looked in everybody's eyes looked up the guy's eyes, but it was like, what? Like for good four or five seconds, looked in the girl's eyes and looked into mine eyes. And then just winked us over. Dankeschön, auf Wiedersehen. 
and we were into Austria. How, how did you feel at that moment? I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't much. I wasn't, um, you know, it, it, took, it took a couple of minutes. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Like five minutes until I realized that, hey, we are in the we are in Austria now. I'm over the board. You know, it's like you. I had to say it several times to myself. Hey, I, I, I came over. I'm over. I'm, you know, uh, and um, yeah, it's, um, uh, but I didn't was, I, I wasn't euphoric and I wasn't, you know, very emotionally engaged or whatever. It just, uh, it was a relief. Yeah, I guess in a way. And it was, it was a, 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 a small happiness, but deep inside, you know, I still didn't really believe that. In, in some way or another, I was still looking back or I, I, aren't they coming after us or, you know, something like that. But then we went into the first village and then Zlatko told me that, well, all right, so uh, you can hitchhike it from now on because we are, we are not planning to go to Vienna. We are planning to go back to Hungary. We just, uh, we just, uh, basically what they did and they actually told me without any <laughs> remorse or whatever they told me that they they were actually smuggling cigarettes they had a hundred uh, uh, a hundred carton cigarettes on them in the car and uh, they would have liked just to put it down in Austria to have a, a, a box there on the, on the train station uh, a safety box or something like that and put it down there and go back to Hungary to buy another 100 cartons or whatever and to come back to Austria again. And uh, you smuggle cigarettes. I said, well, why do you smuggle cigarettes? I mean, are, are, aren't they here to, to buy? Well, yes, of course, they are here to buy, but in Hungary is cheaper. So basically, they were smuggling Ron Hills, which is a Yugoslavia-made cigarette. And in Hungary, it was cheaper than in Yugoslavia. So they came over to Hungary, bought the cigarettes, uh, took it over to Austria, and then, uh, you know, sold it in Austria. And they could make, a, I don't know, a decent amount of money on it. They were young. They were young. It was a young couple. They were uh, a, a university students somehow. And, and this, is, this was the way how they were, you know, fixing their living or staying at the university. And then, uh, then you know, we went into the first village and, and uh, um, seeked up the train station for for to find these kind of deposit boxes. 
but the train stations uh, was uh, was closed. It was uh, late in the afternoon. It was like eight o'clock in the evening or something like that time. And so went on to the second village and the third village, and everybody was everywhere was closed. So basically, they had to come up to to the Hauptbahnhof, to the the main station in in, in Vienna, to put down the the goods there. So thus, they took me all the way to Vienna. Hmm. And and then uh, yeah, we parted there. Uh, okay, I was in Vienna. I didn't know anyone, of course. I had no uncle. I had nothing there. Uh, and presumably you had no Austrian currency either. I had a little currency, actually. No, no Austrian currency. I had, I think I had uh, 3,800 forints or something like that. Uh, officially, you were allowed to take uh, 800 forints out of the country. Actually, the, the Hungarian uh, captain asked me if you have any money on it. And I said what I had. I said I had 3,800 forints and maybe I had, I don't know, like $50 or something like that. And he asked me, is it enough or shall I give it to, uh, shall I give some money to you? And I said, no, 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 no. As I told you, my uncle awaits me on the other side of the border. So actually I don't even need this money either. Uh, he said, okay. Okay. You you so. just absolutely found the best person to be on the border on that day, <laughs> didn't you? I I believe so. I believe so. Yes. And so there was I was up there in Austria, and I know I had to take myself to Kufstein, where I had a, an address to to seek up, and where I will be taken care, of, so to say. And uh, but it you know. Uh, in, in the West uh, or, or in, in, in Vienna as well, they, they are um, closing the, the stations for the night. So you can't stay at the station. Uh, you know, so I came out from the station and it started raining as well. And I didn't want to stay in the wet. So I saw a, a small um, police office right there. A small rotund uh, circular building it was. Small shop, basically, but it was a small police office. And I went in there. Uh, there was a guy, a young policeman, uh, sitting on the table. He had a little TV in front of him. Uh, he was watching a Western film. He was alone in that station. And it was very funny because he had Austrian, he was wearing Austrian uniform, and his feet he put up on the desk and he had cowboy boots. You know, it was so funny to see a, 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 a police officer in cowboy boots. I haven't seen anything like that before. And he was watching a Western film. And, uh, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't saw me at the, at the beginning. And I was watching with him the Western film for like two, three minutes before I, I uh, addressed him. And uh, it was very funny because the Western film, it was in German. They, at that time, they dubbed, or even today, I think they dubbed everything into German. So it was quite funny to watch a Western film in German. You know, and then after a while, you know, I said, hey, 
hello, excuse me. And he said, oh, sorry, sorry. And he stopped the, the TV and, yes, how can I help? Whatever. And I started to tell him my story. Hello, my name is this and this. I, I, I'm, a, uh, uh, I'm coming from Transylvania. I'm, I'm moving on to Sweden, blah, blah, blah. I'm a, a, a political refugee from Romania, basically. And, uh, you know, I have a train uh, tomorrow morning. But, you know, it's raining outside and it cannot just stay here so that I don't get wet. And he said, no, 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 you can't stay here. This is a this is an official building. You can't stay here. Uh, but uh, there is a there is a motel where uh, your kind of people, <laughs> political refugees and so on, uh, where, where they can spend the night. And... Uh, where it is? He said, "Well, it's it's a gross a gross a shivka sedrai. You know, you just go out and there is a tram here, and you take the tram. You go for four stops, and you get off there, and you know you you find your way there." I said, "Well, okay, thank you very much. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodbye, blah blah." So I came out, and then I was found. Took the tram, went up, took uh, went three stops. And then I get off because it became clear that he didn't say that I should go left or right. <laughs> Which direction should I take the tram? So I get off after three stops and I started asking around. You know, Grosashivga said, you know. But there were very few people on the street. Basically, uh, I, I stopped, I think, two Italian tourists who had no idea where this Shivgasa was. And uh, and some other, I think they were Arabs or something. And then so I, I end up in a small square, and uh, there was none in the square except a beautiful young woman who was wearing red leather from top to toe. You know, it was a, it was a it was a vision, or I don't know how to say it, it was like something uh, absurd. Somehow, and then, but, but at the same time, very beautiful. And so I approached, you know, and I asked, uh, sorry, do you know where Grosse Shivga Sedrai is? She said, what, 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 what? I said, well, you see, I'm a political refugee from Transylvania, <laughs> and I'm looking this, uh, this motel or whatever, because, you know, I don't know where to spend the night. Well, she said, well, 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 I don't know, I don't know. But look, there comes a taxi, let's ask him. You know, and he stopped the taxi and, and asked, do you know where Grosse Shivgas drives? And yes, taxi driver knew. And then, can you explain? And so he said, well, it's, it's, it's a bit far. I can't really explain it. And then the girl said, oh, okay, no problem. Just sit in. I'll, I'll take you there. I'm going to go that direction as well. So we, yeah, we, she put me in the cab, you know, and, uh, and then, uh, the taxi driver took my backpack, you know, and put it in the <laughs> in the Mercedes. It's, it, I, I think it was the first time anyone took my backpack or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, like, a, like in the movies, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and then, yeah, we were riding along a good eight to ten minutes with the cab until we got to the Grosse Shivgas, so it wasn't so near. Yeah. And I landed there. Um, 11.35 p.m. No, 11.25. And then, uh, so this is it. You can go in and uh, 
I thank the girl. Thank you very much for taking me. Oh, it's nothing. Okay, have a good life. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and they, she went along. Okay. And then uh, I went into this motel and it was, uh, they were five minutes from closing. 11.30, they would close. So I just got in basically in the last minutes. And in there, there were some Hungarians as well, you know, and they, they could help me with, you know, whatever. I, I, I got to, in a dormitory where there were eight other peoples, but I got fresh sheets and everything. I could take a shower and I, you know, I slept a good night. And the next day I paid for it. I think it was like around 800 forints. And then I headed back to the, to the train station. Uh, and then it, as I went out and I knew the first two, three street corners where to turn, but then not the rest of it. And, uh, but finally, you know, I, I, I asked people in the street, how can I get back to the main train station? And then they were, everybody was really helpful, nice, normal people. And that they directed me how to go there, where, where I found the, the S-Bahn and tunnel bahn and whatever, they even give me tickets, you know, to ride and so on and so on. Which is, uh, which is uh, a bit funny because uh, as I was growing up, we, we had these, uh, how should I say, legends of, of Germans or the Western people being very rigid and unfriendly and cold and, and so on. And it was very funny to me and a very good feeling at the same time as well that in my first day, I'm just only meeting friendly people and helpful people and decent people. And, you know, everything might not have been the, the, the same as, as we were told in Romania, <laughs> you know? And so I find my way back to the train station. I uh, changed my money. I got some six or 800 shillings out of all my money. And I went on to buy a ticket to Kufstein. And then uh, I realized that uh, that ticket would cost me more than I had money. So I said, all right, so until where my money is good. And they say, it's good until Linz. Okay, so I'd like to have a ticket until Linz. So I bought the ticket until Linz and I boarded the train. And uh, I uh, noticed that uh, the first time when you board the train from the first station, you know, uh, 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 the conductor comes and you and checks your tickets and so on, and it's okay. And the next time he's uh, he's not checking the tickets anymore; he remembers you somehow. And the next time, you know, when the train stops, uh, he would just ask that new passengers, and those ones who were new, they would put up their hands. You know, and he would go and only check them. And uh, my, you know, my funny Romanian logics uh, said to me that after Linz, you know, when I didn't have a ticket anymore, I would not be raising my hand that I'm a new <laughs> passenger or that I had the ticket. You're learning just, fast. You know, yes, I'm just keeping a little profile there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then... Uh, I, I got all the way until Virgul, I think it was called at the German city where I had to uh, uh, change trains. And for Virgul, there was, a, uh, I could go to Kufstein and it was no stops in between, but it was like a 40, 45 minutes ride. 
And I certainly had no tickets to, to, for that journey. But as lucky as I was, there was no conductor on that train. So I landed in Kufstein. It, it, was a, it was afternoon and four or five o'clock, you know, and said, basically, I don't, okay, I'm done. You know, I just go and uh, seek up the address and then uh, people will be there happy. So I woke up to the first cab, which was there, and uh, I was asking the address. Hello, do you know this address? I looked at it and said, no, I do not know this address. What do you mean you do not know? I don't think there is an address like this here. Ah. I said to him, how long did you drive taxi, huh? All right, so I went to the second <laughs> cab in the line. <laughs> uh, I just had, I thought I had a novice taxi driver who didn't know his, uh, his city. So I went to the second one, and uh, yeah, he didn't know it either. Went to the third one, he didn't know it either. All right, so something is wrong. I didn't have any money. Not not a coin, no, no nothing. I, I couldn't even make a phone call, basically. And uh, I was thinking, okay, so what shall I do now? Okay, when, when uh, uh, my father wrote down the address, so he might have uh, misspelled something, I thought. So I said, okay, there is no address like this, but there, is there any similar well, similar, yes, similar, there is a good dozen. Okay, uh, which one is the nearest? And uh, he said, well, the nearest is actually not too far, we're just uh, across the police station, like some 600 meters from here. Oh, okay, good. So I went and seeked up this first similar, or looking like, or, or could be address. I think it was uh, number five, which I was looking for. I find I found uh, number four and I found number six. I didn't find any number five. Uh, so I was looking around, coming and going and uh, asking around as well that people didn't know about this number five. Uh, so I still was looking around over there and I, I found a little garden door, basically, but it was hardly a door it was just yeah a very small door on a corner to something and i said okay i'll, I'll try this so i went into the, uh, through this door which led into a garden and uh, like a, a good 50 60 meter from there there was a, a huge house three or four level house and i went in there and i rang the bell nothing you know i knocked on the door nothing and then i entered because the door was open I went in, nobody was in there. Okay, I came out and I went around the house. It was a huge garage there. Uh, it was some motorbike there, some car. It was, it was a, a motorboat there. And I said, well, I mean, they couldn't go so far. I mean, if everything is here and everything's open. So whoever lives here, they should be nearby. So I, I, I decided to wait. I couldn't do anything else either, anyhow. So I uh, sat on the porch, and then, uh, and then I became thirsty as well. I went into the kitchen. I took out a bottle of beer from the fridge, and I went out to the porch, and I finished the beer there, and still nobody. 
And then after a good, uh, another, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes, this little garden door opened and in came what I presume it was a, a, a family. But, you know, it was a woman, there was two or three smaller kids, uh, and the guy, he was a very tall guy, like two-meter guy, you know, and they just, uh, I was sitting on their porch, and they went into the house by me, and they just nodded to me. You know, it was kind of strange situation. They went in, I was still sitting there, and I said, well, I should go after them, I guess, because, you know, I still have my questions. <laughs> and they went in, and they were just coming from shopping, you know, and they were putting putting uh, packaging up and, you know, sorting out the stuff. And then I said, uh, hello, hello, uh, my name is This Is, and I'm coming from here and here, and I'm looking for this person. Uh, I'm looking for, I said the name, Jozef. Oh, well, I'm sorry, we don't know Jozef, we don't know, no, but who are you? Well, you know, I'm a political refugee from Transylvania, you know, and I'm looking this contact. They said, well, we don't know any, any Yosef, but, but are, are, are you hungry? Or, you know, I said, well, yes. Well, why don't you sit with us and have, have dinner with us? Well, thank you very much. You're very kind. And so, well, thank you. So, you know, I sat down and had dinner with them. And then after a while, the door was opening and a, a, a young lady came in, a girl of like 20, 25, and he sat down and started to eat and well, and then he, he spots me that I'm not known to, to her and say, oh, well, hi, who are you? Oh, well, he's a guy, he's a, he's a guy, he's looking for someone, but we don't know him and we just invited him for dinner. Aha, uh -huh, okay, so who are you? I said, I'm a political refugee and I'm looking for this man. Uh, what, what did you say? Jozef. Uh, Jozef. Well, yeah, I know Jozef. You know Jozef? Yeah, of course. Daddy, you know too. He works for you. He works for me, but who? I don't know any other. No, he's not Josef, he's Yusef. Or, or, as they said it in German. Oh, Josef, of course we know Josef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the girl said, well, just finish your dinner, and after dinner I will take you to Josef. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that's what happened, you know. Uh, we sat in, in her car, and he took, me out. he took me out of the town, because this guy was not living in Kufstein. I mean, in... in maybe in the, the, the administrial uh, uh, district of Kofstein, but he was living outside the, the town uh, by a little forest, a house by, alone by himself. So basically, it would, I wouldn't stand a chance to farm this house by myself. Okay, so we're going in there, and uh, as we are turning into to the driveway to the house, uh, golf is uh, a car is leaving on the other side, going out, and uh, the girl said, "Well, that's Joseph car. Let's pop off." And you know, we we ran him up with the car, and he uh, stopped, and it showed that they were going to to a vacation to Italy. They were on their way to a vacation, so we pretty much catch them in the last minute. Basically, you know, one minute and I would be stranded there, basically, more or less. I say, yeah, yeah, I know you were coming, Joseph said, but I thought you were not coming until next week or something. Well, I'm here. Bye, bye, bye. Okay. And then the girl parted, whatever. 
and uh, and then uh, and then Josef said, "Well, you know, well, we are on our way. You know, you can stay here in the house. I mean, the fridge is full. There is books. You know, you can read and so on and so on. You know, you can rest for a week, and then I come back in a week, and then we'll work out how to, you know, how can I uh, help you over to Germany." I said, "Yeah, sure, okay, it works fine for me. I mean, I love more than you know, sit around and read books, and you know, but yeah, I will be okay." And then, uh, and then uh, he took out some uh, uh, Hungarian food, and we had some palinka as well. Uh, this is the, the Hungarian whiskey, <laughs> and you know he was uh, talking a bit and so. And he said, "You know what? I mean, since you're here, uh, I can delay my my uh, my journey a day, and let me see if I can if we can uh, if I can smuggle you over today." I said, yeah, it works for me fine. I mean, I'm here, anyhow. So he started to make some phone calls, and after half an hour, I said, well, okay, let, let's try tonight. Let's try tonight. I said, okay. And uh, the way we did it, it was that he had an Italian wife, and he had uh, a kid of uh, around three, four years old, and he had a newly born kid, newly born, it was like six, seven months. So his wife would be driving the calls, the, the bigger kid would be in the back seat, and I would uh, be in the front seat holding the little baby. And thus, we went to the border. Uh, in Kufstein, there's a border between Austria and Germany, so, mm-hmm. you know, so, so we just drove there. The weather was the same, same. It was still gloomy and rainy and so on. And at this time, we put my green Romanian pass into a black cover, which had uh, which uh, the Austrian passes had. So uh, ag- again, she showed out the two Austrian passes, so to say, to the border. And uh, she looked, uh, the, the border officer looked in, looked around, and he waved us over. So... We were in Germany, and we we went to the first village, and waited there. And uh, Joseph came after us with his car, and uh, we met up in this uh, little village. I sat over to the uh, to Joseph's car, and the girl with the the wife with the two kids returned back to to Kufstein. The reason why we did it like this it was because uh, when Joseph came. The, the border police know him. So they, so to say, uh, uh, looked him, uh, I mean, they controlled him. Uh, he had to step out of the car, open the, you know, so they, they controlled it him. And then uh, with Josef, then I sat in the car and we drove uh, uh, two, 300 kilometers uh, until uh, until Frankfurt, I believe, or some, it, was, it was some German uh, uh, German city. It was, uh, there were Transylvanians there as well. Uh, uh, I believe it was a, a, a doctor, a doctor and his wife. And we were there having dinner. And uh, Joseph turned back from there and went back home. And another guy came to pick me up there from, uh, from Stuttgart, near Stuttgart. So he picked me up and he rode again all two, three hours all the way up to Stuttgart. And I stayed there for three days, uh, and uh, 
And then he gave me money, gave me, I think, 400, three or 400 uh, Deutschmarks. And from there, I, I uh, bought a train ticket all the way to Jönköping, where I was supposed to go for the first place. And then, you know, after a couple of days, I boarded the train and I, uh, yeah, went on my journey. It was very funny when, when we came to Stuttgart as well, because uh, in this guy's house, I, I saw the, we, it was nighttime when we um, arrived there and I wanted to take a shower. I never, ever met a shower before, which was uh, with a photo cell, you know, like uh, I, I haven't never, ever seen anything like that, that you had to, you know, just be there and uh, yeah, the, it would be running. Good. Yeah. So I was there like, a, I, I don't know, like a total idiot and I didn't understood what it's happening, you know. So I put my uh, hand in and uh, there's water. I step into it, there is no water. You know, you had to stand in a different or in a certain way, you know, to, to get water. So it was very funny. So I, I, I spent uh, like, I guess, like a, a good half an hour there taking a shower <laughs> until I managed. <laughs> but it was kind of, you know, the, 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 uh, the small ways, how you, the small meetings with this new kind of life. And so I, uh, basically I went over, uh, uh, to the train station after three days there, I bought my ticket all the way to Jönköping, boarded my, my train and went, went up to Hamburg. And in Hamburg, I had to wait like um, six hours to the next train. So I went out and uh, where did I end up? In Sao Pauli. You know, so it's a, yeah, I heard about Sao Pauli before, you know, but it's a, it's a different thing of uh, hearing and it's a different thing of experiencing it. Yeah. And the, plus it was some kind of festival as well, some kind of uh, autumn festival there as well. So it was a... Uh, uh, yeah, it was good wipes. <laughs> and from there, I wrote a postcard to my parents as well. That um, I wrote it, well, my dear father and mother, uh, I'm writing you from Hamburg. Uh, you don't know it yet, but, uh, well, you know that I'm not there, but I decided to jump off. I'm sorry for this decision that I had made. So it was kind of a letter that, you know, which would which would come to to the post station in in Kesdi. and then you know the security the secret police would certainly see it and so on and so on so they they shouldn't blame my parents yeah yeah you know so I, I could you know just um, uh, and then uh, you know I went over uh, to the to Oldenburg I guess and, and and I had different trains all the way up to. Uh, uh, until I, I took the Copenhagen Copenhagen Express, and the way the train goes over to Denmark is like they are uh, uh, boarding the whole train to the ship, and it boards off on the on the on the other side. And uh, I was talking to my brother, and he said, "Well, um, what's going to happen there is that uh, when border police comes up before." Um, before Puttgarten, the, the the German border city, is they going to check you and uh, and they're going to take you off the train and they're going to hold you probably one night uh, to check up if you're not a, 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 a terrorist or somebody, you know, wanted and so on and so on. 
But since you are not, you know, and you're leaving the country, uh, they will let you, you know, board the train the next day. And you can come, just, you know, expect that this is the procedure. This is what's going to happen. I said, okay, fair enough. And so, you know, I kind of was expecting the border police and, you know, that I'm going to spend the night in a, in a cell, <laughs> more or less. So uh, I put my backpack in, in one of the compartments and I stood by the window and I remember that I was smoking Kim cigarettes <laughs> by, by the window. And the border police came and since I was uh, standing by the door, I opened the door and I said, uh, you know, guten tag. And they said, guten tag, danke schön, bitte sehr. You know, and I closed the door after them. And they went on and, you know, started to uh, check people and so on and so on. And I was still standing by the window and I was still smoking. And then after a while, they were coming back. I opened the door and I said, and they said, danke schön. And I said, bitte sehr. And they left. They did not check me. You see, politeness goes a long way. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Somehow. And then um, we went over to Rødeby, which is the, the Danish city on the other side. And then the Danish border control came and uh, I handed over my passport. He looked at it and he asked me, should I put a stamp in it or not? I said, well, I don't know. I said, well, you know, if you wish, I can put a stamp. And if you don't want a stamp, I don't put a stamp. Well, I said, I don't know what's the normal procedure. I mean, do as you feel. I mean, do as you have to do. I don't, you know, I know. Okay, then I put a stamp. And he stamps my passport. And he handed back. Because, the, the, you know, I had a valid passport. It, it, uh, the reason why we couldn't leave Romania, it's, it's not because, let's say, the Austrians would not let us in or the Germans, or whoever, but because usually the, the communist bloc, like in this way, the Hungarian, would not let us out. Yeah. You know, as I, as I uh, remember, we didn't need an, uh, a visum to, let's say, Denmark, because it was a visa-free way, because it was no Romanians coming to Denmark anyhow, because they were not let out of the country. So I had a, a good passport on, on, on myself, you know, so it, it was not a problem. So we went over to all the way to Copenhagen and in Copenhagen, I had to change trains again uh, to Stockholm. And uh, this train was a nighttime train. So uh, from then, from Copenhagen, then uh, uh, we had sea crossing again uh, at Helsingborg, Helsingborg, from Denmark to Sweden. The so a shorter one. And then uh, we were into Sweden. After we went uh, over to Sweden, you know, it was nighttime. People were, uh, some people were still reading and most of the people were, were sleeping uh, in the train. And it was uh, a lot of people in the train. It was the end uh, of August. A lot of people were returning um, to that, uh, to, to Sweden. So, on. so it was, yeah, full, a full train. And uh, after a while, I, I, I saw that uh, uh, the border control was approaching. Now, the Swedish officers had a different uniform that I had seen before, you know, because I was, you know, used to normal, so-called normal 
uh, uh, uniforms, but the Swedish officers had a um, a working uh, like the dock workers had. I don't know, that, like an overall, like an overall. They, that's 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 the word. Yeah, like they had an overall on themselves, so they were, yeah, kind of funny looking. And uh, but I saw that as well that they were not checking everybody. They were just uh, asking passports of those who were awake. You know, those who were sleeping, they didn't bother. A sudden sleepiness came over me. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm yeah. sleeping. And they, uh, 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 the guy next to me, he was sleeping already. And he had a, a, a jeans jacket on, on, on him, which uh, fell off as he was uh, turning around or whatever in his in his sleep. So the border guy, the, the police officer, uh, took up his his coat from the uh, from the ground and put back on him. You know, and they left. I waited two three minutes, you know, and I looked around. No, they were gone. Which meant that basically I was in Sweden. You know. Wow. And then after like five or ten minutes, something like that, the the conductor came, and uh, it was a, a, a small person. It was a, a, a woman of like thirties or something like that. And uh, I gave her my my train ticket. He controlled it, said thank you, and said nor chirping, and gave it back to me, and she left. And I was sitting there thinking, she said, Norcher, Norcher. I think it's not where I am going. And I opened my the ticket and checked it, and it said, Jön chirping in my. Aha. Uh -huh. So something is, is wrong here. Am I on the road train or what's happening? So I went after her. I catch her up in the next uh, next wagon. And I ask, I, I'm sorry, you said something in Norcherping, but I'm going to Jön chirping. You see, this is my ticket. Well, yes, yes, but in order to get to Yonchirping, uh, you will have to go off in Norchirping and, and uh, uh, change trains. Aha, uh -huh. okay, I didn't know that. So where is this Norchirping? Well, uh, uh, this is like 150 kilometers from Yonchirping. So we are going over Yonchirping and then I have to come back? Well, yes, because you should change train here in Neshu in order to be able to go to Yenchipping. So tomorrow or in the morning when we're going to be in Orchipping, you have to come back to Neshu, change trains here, and then you can go from there to Yenchipping. Well, I said, but it's, it's uh, wait a minute, it's not working for me. I don't have money, you know, I, I, it's Yenchipping, I want to go. I'm a political refugee from Romania. I'm a Transylvanian, you know, I don't know how to cope with that situation. Can't you help me if we are going through this nature or whatever it's called? Can we just stop there for a moment, you know, or whatever? Or what What can we do? You know, I, I said, no, 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 we, can, we can't stop. I mean, this is a, the international night train from Copenhagen to Stockholm. It doesn't uh, stop. The first stop is in, in Tech. But you see my, my situation. It's a, well, she said, wait, wait. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, let, let me see what can I do. And then she took out her phone. You know this train phone, and he was uh, talking to the uh, to the train driver, train engineer. And then he put it down. He said, "Well, okay, basically we could stop for a short moment." 
in, in unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> like, you've got a real <laughs> gift. You've got such a gift. And basically, that's what happened as well. You know, uh, when we got to Nashua and they announced it in the train because, you know, people were waiting up and looking out what happened. I mean, we're not supposed to stop. And they and they announced it both in Swedish and English that uh, we're not supposed to stop here, but we have a political refugee from Romania who heads to Jönköping. And uh, this is how we can help him. And we uh, apologize to all the, all of you for this short break, but we will be continuing short. And then I was standing on Nashir all by myself. Of course, nobody was getting off the train during the nighttime with my nice Transylvanian yellow backpack. And the people were, were out on the, on the train windows. They were listening to what was being announced. And then when I heard the story, they said, well, yeah, hey, and they were applauding and said, cheering and have a good life. Yeah, all the best, you know, like, wow, yep. where did I? Brilliant got myself into i mean this people are decent and i don't know you know just all these positive waves all around yeah so it's uh yeah and then i spent the night there as well because that uh, uh, uh train station was closed as well from the outside but from the inside it was okay so i spent the night there with uh, three guys i guess they had the same they were in the same situation as i were i guess and then in the morning, the train came and uh, I continued to, to Yonchirping. And when I got to Yonchirping, then I called my brother on the phone and uh, he came uh, and uh, fetched me. Uh, he was at, uh, you know, a family. I mean, he had a, she had a girlfriend, of course, from Transylvania. And that was the, the main reason he was leaving uh, Hungary as well to come out to Sweden that his family and uh, and then he fetched me to family and then uh, his girlfriend uh, I took a shower and I had a breakfast and then his girlfriend uh, who already knew Swedish by that took me to the police to uh, you know register and send here I am so I went into the police and the uh, uh, was translating and then I got this registration and then uh, then went over to the immigration office and then I registered there as well. They asked me if, uh, you know, how would I like to stay? And I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, would you like to stay to Transylvania, another Transylvania? I said, well, of course. And then, uh, you know, we went over and uh, bought some uh, basic stuff like towels and those kind of stuff. And we went up there and there. We were in a, uh, I was put in a flat with a, a fellow Transylvanian guy. And uh, yeah, there we lived together for like six, seven months until we got our uh, permits, resident permits and everything else. Incredible. Incredible. What What was that moment like when you, you met your, your brother? It must have been emotional or not? It was. It was kind of emotional because, you know, I mean... Uh, We did it, but we didn't really believe it that it could really happen, or that that I could really succeed somehow. But uh, and yet, yes, <laughs> you know. So we're standing there. So you know, 
Yeah, but we didn't uh, had any tears and see and so, but we just went on like like uh, business as usual, basically. You know, like okay, I did it. Here I am. Okay, so what's the next step? Basically, you know. But of course, of course, we were. I believe I was emotionally, you know, touched and so on and so. Why we did it? I mean, what? But everything was new, and you know, you were just looking around and you know, taking in everything. Uh, it's. Uh, Ah, it was a dream which came true, which never ever allowed yourself to dream. That's a great line. That is a lovely, lovely line. Um, were there any repercussions with your parents as a result of you leaving the country? They called them, uh, I think, two or three times into the local uh, uh, Securitate office. Uh, and, you know, they were trying to, whatever, they were persecuting them and interrogating them and see it and so on. But uh, that level of securitate in, in, uh, in my hometown was, uh, how should I say, not so severe. They, uh, my father was a well-known person in the, in, in, in the, in the city. And, you know, uh, there were, uh, actually, there were Hungarian officers, some of the Hungarian officers in the Securitate as well. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, they didn't really want to make a big thing out of it. But let me just say, uh, add to it that uh, in 1988, uh, by that time, my parents were retired and they came out to visit us in Sweden. 1998, it, it's still communism back in Romania. And then uh, we persuaded them to stay in Sweden. And after us, that uh, their two children was already living in Sweden, they got, uh, uh, they got political asylum as well, in like in a month or something. It went very fast. So they stayed in Sweden. And in eight, 1989, that is a half year after, they stayed in Sweden. Our house was demolished in Kesdi. Was that in in retaliation for them not coming back? Not not really in retaliation, but because they wanted to build a new housing uh, uh, neighborhood there, you know. And uh, basically, they took the house, they took the garden, they took everything, and uh, what they paid it was a. Uh, you know, a small sum, basically, small amount of money. So that it's what it's really worth. And the long my father was home, I mean, he could resist in this in, in one or other way. But when he left, then, you know, nobody was there. And I guess it was probably easier for them to leave Romania because they were pensioners at that point. And it meant Romania, if they didn't come back, it meant Romania no longer had to pay their pension. There's further information such as photos and videos in our episode notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, this podcast would not exist without our financial supporters, and I want to thank one and all of them for their generous support. If you want to help us, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information. And you can also join our Facebook group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Thanks very much for listening. 
it is really appreciated. Goodbye. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.